Welcome to Tips from the Server Room. This podcast is designed for all you systems admins, network specialists, or the guys and gals out there in the office who handles it all. Sit back, relax, grab a beverage, and enjoy Tips from the Server Room. Hey, yes, welcome back, everybody, once again to Tips from the Server Room. This is episode number 127 for March the 24th, 2018. I'm your host, Jack, and I'm going to be guiding you into, through, and out of the world of systems administration, network administration, and all fields of IT. If you have a moment, please check out my website at tipsfromtheserverroom.com. Also, you can comment on these shows there, and I wish that you would. If you have any questions or ideas for future shows, you can email me. Please email me at jackstechcorner at gmail.com. And you can also follow me on Twitter and as at technoman. Don't forget these shows are actually pushed across to my YouTube video now. So my YouTube channel is 42technoman, the number 42 T-E-C-H-N-O-M-A-N. And you can go there and actually watch the video of uh, the recording of these podcasts. So it's something uh, that a lot of people are taking advantage of, and it's really uh, nice. And I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad to see that people are taking advantage of it. But I just wanted to throw that out there to you. Also, don't forget, we are now syndicated. <laughs> That's a nice word, huh? Syndicated across TuneIn. TuneIn Radio. So if you have the TuneIn Radio app on your smartphone, you can find us on there. Or if you now go to your Amazon Echo, and all you have to do is say, Alexa, play podcast, tips from the server room. And Alexa will pick that up, and she will say, playing the current episode of tips from the server room. Now, there's drawbacks with, with the Echo that I found is, um, I don't believe you can pause. I haven't tried that. But uh, every time you would ask, you would not pick it up from where you left off. It would just pick it up and start over from the beginning again. So, um, But it is there if you're like sitting in your kitchen and you just uh, want to listen to one of the episodes. It's a great way to do that. So today, I want to talk a little bit about a new version of Windows uh, Server that is coming out. Now, the current version of Windows Server that uh, we all uh, love and adore or love and hate or whatever way you look at this is Windows Server 2016. And so it's been a few years since Windows Server has been released. And the thing about that is, um, so now they're coming around, Microsoft is saying, look, we need to get a new version of Windows out there, Windows Server. So now Windows Server 2019 is coming around. There is a pre-release version. I did happen to download that uh, just the other day, and I do have that on my laptop, but I have not yet installed it. So I have to find some time to install it to give you some updates and some reviews of it and what it looks like. I understand they're changing some stuff with it with Windows Server 2019. Of course, they're going to be adding new things into there, and I think that's a very positive step forward. Now, the other thing... I wanted to mention a little bit talking about Windows Server that you may or may not know, you may or may not have, is if you're running Windows Server 
uh, let's say you're running server 2008 R2. Uh, a very stable server edition yet. It's still being updated. It's still being security releases are still being sent out for it. It's still a very good platform. But if you're running Windows 10 workstations, there's not a whole lot of communications going on between those two different versions. So, you know, you're not able to do a whole lot with uh, 2008 as far as policies go with the start menu with the desktop itself. I mean, you're going to do some basic functionality, but you're not going to be able to control that security. And we've been finding out that a lot at work. And at work, you know, in the education world, we have so many Windows clients out there, so many laptops. And we used to lock those down with a program called Deep Freeze. Um, Deep Freeze was, was a great solution for its time, and it worked really well. There were some drawbacks, and I understand that they did overcome those today. But the drawbacks that we used to find with, with a product such as Deep Freeze was that they would never remember that they received their updates. So if you never remembered you received your updates, you started to fall in that group of it, wanted to reboot all the time looking for more updates. So it's just something to remember, something to think about, that you know if you freeze those computers. I did find a product from Microsoft that I don't know if I didn't know it was out there or it just never... Uh, dawned on me to look for it but and it has been discontinued at this point it is called microsoft system state and i was telling my partner about the other day and it's something that we started looking at because you can still download it you can still find microsoft system state and you can load on the workstation it will load on windows 10 again you're not going to be able to control everything because it's kind of a point and click type of a deal but there is ways that you can lock that windows workstation down with system state and when it reboots, it will come back to that state. And that was the whole idea of deep freeze, right? Every time somebody would do something on a workstation, <laughs> uh, and, and I kind of have to get a chuckle there because we had a lot of uh, students at the time that didn't pay attention to what we told them to do. And what I mean by that is we told them at that time, when you're writing documents, I'm a very big, uh, big opponent or big, I don't know, it, it, it drives me absolutely nuts when people save all of their work to the desktop. I mean, seriously, if you think about that, you know, and, and if you do, that's that's totally up to you. But basically, I see it as a, an unorganized skill. Uh, put the stuff in a folder. Here's the base way that, you know, you should teach your clients to do this. And I'm sure you do because all, all technologists believe the same thing. If it's on your desktop, it is not getting saved anywhere. There's no backup of that file. Uh, that file is just sitting there on the C drive, just hanging out, waiting for the computer to crash. And then everybody comes running to us. Oh, technologist guy, you should be the one to fix that. Uh, find my file. Well, no, because you did a very stupid thing. And there's just nothing we can do to help you with that. And that's just the way it works. Deep freeze, was, deep freeze was the same way. Deep freeze, the kids would save it on their desktop. And they would reboot that computer and it would all be gone. Because it came back to the exact way that we had it set up. So we told him at that time, look, you should save this to your, uh, at that time we were using server-based storage. Save it to your server drive. And on that server drive, it would be fine, right? On that server, um, if it reboots, it's still going to be on that server. But so many times they lost their documents on the desktop. And it took a while and they finally learned that, you know, uh, after they had to write the same report four or five times, 
it caught on that that was probably a bad idea. So the other thing with a lot of the users saving all their work on the desktop, and, and I get it, I get it. Like I got paperwork, uh, let's see here. Like I got papers on my desk right now, right? Because it's on my desktop here, on on my computer desktop, because it, it's close by. I have a pen, I can jot down notes very easily. I get it. If it's on the desktop of the computer, the theory or our brains work that it's close at hand. I double click it, that's the file I'm working on. So many times we get tons of phone calls. It was on my desktop yesterday and today they accidentally deleted it, whatever they did with it, but they can't find a file. And it turns out that most times they're running some kind of temporary folder on the desktop and it just doesn't work out for them. But um, anyway, that's the current way and that's why saving on the desktop drives me absolutely crazy. And I try to teach people nowadays we save everything in a Google Drive. And we make one folder on our Google Drives for every every single client of ours. And that folder is called desktop. We put a shortcut of that folder on their desktop and tell them now, just be organized. Double click that in the morning and keep all your working files in there. That way we know those files are always going to their Google storage. And we know where they're at and they're protected now and they're safe for us. A lot better than the way they wanted to do it in the past. It just didn't ever work out, and I'm sure you understand that. So anyway, we're going to talk a little bit, now that we get through all that, um, about uh, – what were we? We were talking a little bit about uh, – so Server 2008, there's not a whole lot of policies that you can do with your Windows workstations, Windows 10. Uh, so you know, you're going to have to step up to Server uh, 20. Uh, at this point, 2016. 2012, there was some some uh, more items in there that you can do. Uh, Server 2016 is like, it, it's just, it blows out of the water. The policies are all there. You can work with every part of the Windows desktop. So it's super nice. And uh, one policy we're working on for next school year is we're going to have a policy written that you can't write anything to the desktop. So that's going to be one of our policies, and that's just going to be something we have to train people, and then we're going to get away from the desktop thing. That's why I wanted to bring out the whole desktop thing. Anyway, so we were working at the, at the school on – I think this was Friday, Thursday or Friday. And my partner's sitting across from me, and I said, you know, I hear, and I'm sure you've heard this, that there's a new wireless uh, standard coming out. And that new wireless standard, we understand, is going to be AC. So we started looking up. I said, wow, what were the bandwidths? What were the speed of the wireless uh, from years ago? And I told her that when I owned my internet company, this will tell you how long ago this was, back in the day, we started the company by using 14.4 modems. Yes, 14,400 kilobit modems, so 14.4 modems. And we worked our way up through the ranks of 14.4 um, to 28k I think it was and then 36 was it 36k modems but if you think back to those days and a lot of you are young maybe listening to this show and you don't remember the days uh, where we came from that was something I told who was that the other day we were talking oh a really good buddy of mine we went uh, out to a meeting last night um, to uh, to our uh, local motorcycle meeting last night 
And when we were talking, when he came home, uh, we were working. We were talking about some technology stuff. And he was really shocked of when I got started in, in the technology business. And what's kind of funny about that is I told him that I am really thrilled that I was able to start in the technology business. And you figure now I'm, I'm like 50. So if you go back, I was probably 22 or 23 years old. And I was writing ANSI DOS programs, you know, ANSI graphics and writing DOS-based programs. And um, I think the language we used back then was C. I think it was C. And, you know, just being able to be a part of that history of computers. Uh, so does it make me one of the old hag guys? Eh, maybe. Maybe so. But I think it's great that <clears throat> I told him if we don't know where we came from with computers, we'll never know where we're going. And I think that's so much today. Look at all the startup companies today. Uh, all the kids are 20-somethings. You know, uh, even some kids are even younger, maybe in high school. They don't know the pain and suffering that we went through. And I told him when I used to write software, I would write software for, you know, just a small frigent of memory. Um, we didn't have gigabytes of RAM back then to, to write our programs in. And we didn't have <clears throat> tons of hard drive space to like store everything on. No, you had to be very cautious of how you wrote a program. You had to make sure that program cleared the screen at proper times. You had to make sure that the you know when you were doing ANSI graphics, the x y coordinates were so tough because you had to work at and and paint it on the different parts of the screen. But you know what? It was absolutely cool to know where we came from. And listening to other podcasts lately on the air, I find a lot of guys are probably uh, looking at the overall collection of people that are podcasting right now uh, on. Uh, computer-based topics, I guess. I find that a lot of the guys uh, at this level are probably anywhere from, from 30s, maybe 35, to that 60-year-old that range. And it's interesting to me because these guys, like myself, have grown up with this. You know, I didn't just wake up one day and, and, and or I didn't, didn't come out of the womb with mommy iPhone and have an iPhone in my hand or an Android phone. Uh, that just didn't happen. Uh, a lot of people believe that kids today, they call them, um, do they call them millennials? I think millennials would be my daughter's age. I don't know what this new generation coming up is. But even my daughter, even like millennials, we, are, and I guess I've been in that realm before, we tend to believe that these children uh, automatically know technology, right? They were born with it. They know everything there is to know about it. Go in one day and open up a computer case and take your kid's uh, RAM chips out. And it's going to start beeping, you know, beep, 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 beep. And it's going to get a beep code. And they're not going to know what the hell's wrong with it, to be honest with you, right? They, they weren't born with a technology genius brain in their head. That just isn't true. The only thing I think that we're showing today that, that millennials, and I've seen it, we went to a funeral yesterday, and at the funeral, there was this little boy sitting in the pew in front of us. And this boy probably might have, might have been two years old, maybe. Uh, he was being very quiet. He was being very good. And I would look down, and he's watching, like, videos. And the videos was really weird, but it was some kind of car video where a hand was pushing a car around. But he was so engrossed in that. 
So is that somebody that knows how to use technology? You know, I don't understand that part. That would be like saying that I know how to uh, repair my car, tear the engine out, drop the transmission because I know how to drive my car. That is idiotic, right? It's just not there. I talked to one of our students at school one day, and we were talking a little bit. And I said, well, look, if you're a – you grew up with this technology, you know everything about it. And he goes, no, sir. He said, Jack, he said, let me tell you, that's not true. I I could bring – you know, I can do a Word document. I could do a PowerPoint. But if my uh, screen freezes, if my wireless connection drops, then I have to run to you guys to get it fixed because I just don't know how to fix it. So this whole notion about people and millennials, and I bring that up because, again, I grew up in a time, and, and you know, I don't want to harp on this, but I grew up in a time when we didn't have any technology. When we left the house in the morning, folks, we left the house at sunrise, and our parents said when the streetlight comes on, you'd be back in this house. They didn't know where we were. They couldn't call us on our cell phones. They couldn't. They could try putting smoke signals up if we happened to be watching the old homestead, but they didn't know where you were. And all they had was phones. One phone in the house, one hanging on our kitchen wall, and they would call our friend's mother, and then that friend would call that friend's mother, and they would eventually track us down, or somebody would know where we went. But it's funny to see from then how I grew up to where I am today. You know, being able to. Uh, you know, run the systems, run servers, write software, and do all this great stuff that we do. Um, but it, it's nice also that I watched that transition coming along. I mean, hey, how many people remember uh, Windows Server NT, right? NT1, NT2, uh, up to like NT4.0, right? And a whole different world. So anyway, we were talking. I was talking about my partner, and we were talking about wireless. And we said, well, yeah, there's a new wireless coming out. And how is our wireless networking? We use extreme networking gear. So if you want to look that up, extreme. It's different for me because I am an old Cisco guy. Uh, I've been doing Cisco uh, programming for, wow, as long as I can remember. And, you know, I took a new job. And when I went in, they had all this extreme gear. I can't just say, well, well, I guess I could have. But you don't want to say, let's rip that all out. And I'm putting all Cisco in because that's all I know. No, because it's called a resume builder, folks. You want to build your resume so anytime you get your chances to get your hands on any kind of technology, don't just shrug your shoulders and go, I don't know it. I'm not going to work on it because that's the wrong way to look at your life uh, if you're doing this business. But we started talking about wireless technology and what's coming, and we started talking about uh, exactly that. What was the speeds of the wireless? And I remember telling people at one time was, you know, the internet speed's getting faster and faster and faster, right? Fios now, and I think Xfinity, both have gigabit network they can bring into a business. And I would tell people, well, that's wonderful, <clears throat> but if you're using a wireless device, uh, you're not going to get that pumped out of your wireless units. You're not going to get, you know, gigabit speed, obviously, so we want everybody wired. And my partner, she goes, well... Let's look back a little bit, Jack, and see what the wireless standards were. So I thought, you know, that was pretty amazing. Let's take a look at that. So for those uh, watching the video, uh, you're going to actually see – I'm going to just shrink me down here. And you're going to see – I found this article here from uh, LifeWire. I guess it's LifeWire.com. 
And I will link us both on the podcast, and I will link this on the uh, YouTube video. But what's really cool about this uh, whole article here is it gives you every single wireless standard that we had. And it, it was, it was a, a lot of fun just to sit and kind of reminisce because I lived through all these. I didn't just wake up one day and have wireless N, or I wasn't born yesterday and it's like, I got the high-speed wireless package I can have. No. We had low, the lowest wireless, but when we had those lower standards, we didn't have the internet speeds coming to the houses that we have today. We didn't have as many connected devices in your house as you have today, as many streaming devices, right? I mean, how many people, when our kids were at home, we had five people in the house. We all had our own phones. The kids had all had tablets. I think they had tablets or a laptop or something. They would be streaming videos, watching YouTube. We would be downstairs maybe streaming some kind of video on the TV set. And we couldn't have done that years ago with what we had, But so it has to get better. So anyway, we're going to go back here and have a little look and a little just uh, just a brief reminiscing of the past. I love doing this. I like talking about where we were. I often thought about a great, you know, it'd be a great podcast, uh, the history of tech or something, uh, because I think we lose that standard. So in 1997, uh, we came out with 802.11. Now, 802.11, funny enough, uh, the bandwidth was 2 megabits a second, and it was too slow for most applications. So 2 megabits a second, that's like, that's ridiculous. Our cell phones on LTE has way more than that today, but we suffered through it, and we did all right, and we loved it. And it looks like here in 1999, we got the great creation of 802.11b. Now, 802.11b was a bandwidth, was a pretty standard, pretty decent standard for quite a while. It was 11 megabits a second. This is one of the first standards I remember putting into a school district was 802.11b. Uh, it ran on 2.4 gigahertz. And like I said, its total bandwidth was 11 megabits a second now let's give you some pros of 802.11b uh, at the time and this is why i put it in the school district i'm sure it was a lower cost uh, the signal range was good and not easily obstructed now the cons of 802.11b there couldn't be a whole lot of cons because we really didn't have anything else to fall back on but it was the slowest maximum speed home appliances may interfere with the unregulated frequency band. Remember the frequency band of 2.4. And if you remember one time cell phone, not cell phones, cordless wireless phones in your houses were 2.4 gigahertz. That was the exact same frequency range those fell in. So, you know, it could quite possibly your phone, as, as you know, as mom was talking to somebody, you can't get grid wireless when you're up there streaming because there's interference. Then we're going to step up. We stepped up to 802.11a. So 802.11a, I don't remember. Uh, oh, wait, 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 wait. Well, 802.11b was in development, 802.11a. So we had, that makes sense. 802.11, 802.11a, 802.11b. I do remember a. And I know one of the cons were, and I'll tell you about that in a second, why we didn't use a. But 802.11a, it's kind of funny because... Um, its total bandwidth was 54 megabits a second. So remember, the speed was greatly increased. 
And this is related to the frequency range of 5 gigahertz. So it was a higher frequency range. It was more speed, but not a lot of people flocked to it. And does anybody know why? I'm sure you're shaking your head. So the reason why, I don't know why these ads are popping up here. Get rid of that. So the Pro was actually faster maximum speed, right? It's better than 11. Regulated frequencies prevented signal interference from other devices. So that was good. And we thought, okay, that's wonderful. Maybe we will put it in a school district. But the con was, it was a higher cost, which was harder on our, on our bottom budget line, and a shorter range of signal, which is easily obstructed by just about anything. Um, the, the, I remember that the frequent, the, uh, obstruction of their, that signal, that signal would get bounced around everywhere and it was absolutely horrible uh, to have that in. That's why we never went to 802.11a. We didn't want to trade off the speed for the density of what we can go through. That's why we stuck with 802.11b and that's why that kind of was the standard you would find in most households. Then we stepped up to 802.11g. Now, 802.11g was in 2002 uh, to 2003. 802.11g emerged in the markets. And 802.11g supported bandwidth of 54 megabits a second. So look at that. We went from B, 802.11b, at basically 11. Okay, the other one had 54a. But now they brought out G. And G is still at 54, the same as A was. So why was that switch? The switch was to get us at a uh, different megahertz range. They, they took it to 2.4 gigahertz frequency. I'm sorry, gigahertz. So it, it actually created a greater range. Now, the pros of 802.11g was fast maximum speed, again. And the signal range was good and not easily obstructed. So when G came out, I remember, we jumped the bandwagon from B and we started pushing everything to G because also in 2002 and 2003, we started seeing more and more laptops coming into the school district. So we knew we had to get that, uh, the more speed and the better uh, concentration or the less uh, obstacles out there. So we started putting these, we started putting like two or three in every single hallway in the school district. So it was pretty amazing and uh, to have that connectivity so uh, today it's getting a little more difficult, and I'll tell you about that in a second. Uh, and the con of 802.11g was it cost more than 802.11b, but it was worth it for budgeting purposes. It made sense because we needed the, as I talked about, the density and everything. Uh, the appliances may interfere with the unregulated frequency. We never got much uh, interference on ours, so I guess it just worked out. So today, pretty much the standard today is 802.11n. Uh, most devices we have in our school district right now have they have the uh, n um, the the n abilities. <clears throat> excuse me, on our network cards, and uh, 802.11n seems to be the you know I mean obviously the wireless of choice right now. So if you can upgrade your firmware. Uh, make sure you're running wireless and and you will know a good test is I know most of our our uh, internet at the school we have a gig of internet coming in so one gigabit coming in and obviously I'm not pushing this out to to my clients right to my workstations but if you do a speed test on one of your uh, devices and you're getting 54 megabit or lower you're running obviously G 
If it's going over 54 and you're tapping out at 100, 150, 300, then you do have 802.11n. So it's a great way to do a little test. Um, the other day, we actually took out our, our iPhones, and I have the speed test app on my iPhone, and that's kind of the way I, I just get a generalized view of how my wireless is working in my classrooms. I'll go into the classroom and actually sit and see how it's working. This is one of those things that we talked about on one show before about uh, proactive and reactive. If you want to be proactive, do that. I do walkthroughs at least – I like to do a walkthrough once, at least once a week. And I'm talking about – I just pop in different classrooms and a teacher will say, hey, I didn't call you. And I'll say, no, you didn't. We're just here to say hello. How you been? Uh, how's your technology running? Uh, myself or my partner will pull out our phone. We'll do a speed test of the wireless just to make sure that it's working up to our standards. And that's being that you know that proactive person. I don't – and you can't always do that. I'm sure if you're consulting out there, if you're doing a consulting business and uh, you're getting called in or you're getting uh, tickets of some sort or somebody calls you, you have to react to that problem, and that's just the way it is. Uh, when I do work with a client and I do go into one of our consulting companies and we walk in the door, even if I'm reacting to a problem, I spend a little bit extra time there, and I do a little proactive approach to making sure everything else is working up to standards. Because let's face it, folks, we don't see our clients every single day. Uh, you may see a client um, once a month. You may see, you know, if you see a client once every other week, you're doing really, really well. And I understand you probably have some clients, and we're looking for more clients such as the ones uh, where, you know, we have an agreement with them to go in maybe once a week, uh, maybe for a four-hour day or an eight-hour day, just to be there to make sure everything is up to standards and make sure that all their people are uh, better off and, and, and working well. Because we're also offering with, with our company, we also offer training. So when we go in, we want to sit down with you. Maybe we'll do a PowerPoint training or a Microsoft Word training and get people working more efficiently. And again, that's that proactive approach. So you want to be proactive. That's how we do it. We go in the classroom. We take a, a reading. And I'm talking at least once a week. And we do that through the uh, high school, high school, middle school. And we also do it through the elementary just to make sure that everything is working fine. And I understand out there a lot of school districts don't have that. A lot of school districts, everybody works as a reactivary force, right? They want to react to a help desk ticket. Uh, we don't do that. And I've been doing this for education about 20 years. So we have a very good positive flow in education. So that's kind of where I'm telling you. I'm, mainly we talked about that because you want to go in and you want to take that speed test just to see where you are at. Now, 802.11n was created here in 2009, so it's been the standard for quite a while. And in your home, you probably have 2000, I mean 2000. You probably have 802.11n in your home by now. If you don't, I'm sure you know you should probably buy a new router just to get the biggest bang out of your internet buck. And, and if you have speeds coming in, you know, obviously lower uh, than 300 megabits. See, right now, my internet speed at my house is 100 megabit up and 100 megabits down. 
megabytes or would they say 100 megabyte up, 100 megabyte down, however you say it. But we have 100 by 100. So when I was running 802.11g, I wasn't getting the full bang for my buck there because I was only getting 54 megabytes out to my devices. But today I am getting, I mean, it, it taps out 100. So wired and wireless, I'm getting my full internet connection to my devices and that makes me very, very pleased. Um, let's see, also known as Wireless N. As I said, it was created in 2009. It will give you a maximum bandwidth of 300 megabits per second. Um, the pros, faster maximum speed and the best signal range. Most resistant to signal interference from outside sources. And that is super true. I mean, absolutely true. It works great. The cons... Uh, the standard, it says, is not yet finalized. Of course, this is probably an older document. The costs are more than 802.11g, which you're not going to buy today anyway. Um, the use of multiple signal signals with greater interference of nearby 802.11bg-based networks, which you're probably not going to have if you're running 802.11n anyway. Now, the new one totally blew our mind. We thought, wow, huh? are we going to be upgrading to this? 802.11ac, the newest generation of Wi-Fi signaling, and I know some people probably already running this. Again, this is an older document, is 802.11ac, which utilizes a dual-band wireless technology, supporting simultaneously connections on both the 2.4 gigahertz and the 5 gigahertz Wi-Fi bands. So if you notice that your uh, particular uh, routers, your wireless setup, your wireless units have dual band, then chances are you can tie those together and run AC or they'll do it with some kind of firmware, I would imagine. So let's see, it does offer, and we like this, it offers backwards compatibility with 802.11b, G, and N. So if you have older devices, they are still going to connect and work fine. The bandwidth rate is up to 1300 megabits a second. 1300 megabytes or megabits a second on the 5 gigahertz band and 450 megabytes a second on the 2.4 gigahertz band. So obviously if you can connect to the 5 gigahertz band and you are running this AC, you are going to have a faster connection. And, you know, that's about it. They do talk some more stuff down here about Bluetooth, uh, different standards of Bluetooth over the years. So you can read that part. I think at the very bottom here it does have the different dates it does you can read that like i said i'll link this in the description of the youtube video and also link this in the youtube of this uh in the youtube i also link this in the description of the podcast so you can go down there and actually read that so all right let's bring this here back up there we go so let me see here make a couple changes real quick all right, so anyway, um, I really do appreciate everybody coming here each and every week. Uh, sometimes it throws me off, though, with, with podcasts and with YouTube videos, with people that will come and they subscribe to your to your podcast and they listen to it a little bit and then they unsubscribe. So I don't know why that subscription rate goes up and down, up and down. I've subscribed to podcasts that the feeds aren't even there anymore and you, I never went back and unsubscribed. Is that somebody telling you that, we hate your stuff. You know, you suck. You're horrible. Is that what people are trying to say to me? I don't know. 
Um, I don't receive as many emails from you folks listening that I would like to do uh, receive. And I know years ago when I started this podcast, uh, Tips from the Server Room, it decreased because over time I've learned that um, I'm getting older, I think, and more wiser. But over time, what would happen was, you know, you would see that you would lose people listen, you would lose listeners, and you would gain one and lose five. And and YouTube's the same way, you know, you'll gain a subscriber and lose ten. And you don't know why that actually happens, what that translates to. But I I do believe that if I am reaching, you know. I mean, this podcast has been downloaded thousands of times, and I don't know why I let that bother me. But um, I did use, for some stupid reason, I used FeedBurner, and I put that on my site. And I don't know if people just don't like using FeedBurner. I mean, does FeedBurner track what you're doing or something? Are people nervous about using FeedBurner? I don't know. I just think it's a great way for a podcaster to be able to see stats. But then we put our shows out there on so many – like TuneIn Radio. They don't send me any stats at all, so I don't know what's going on over there. But uh, yeah, so sometimes you look at these, and I know a lot of podcasters do what they call pod fading. And the pod fade is like the radio station is there one day, and you turn your dial to that favorite radio station. All of a sudden, it's no longer there. So I know this show has very um, has sustained uh, thousands of listeners every week, and I appreciate that. I appreciate you guys subscribing and downloading to these shows. You always would like to get more feedback to say, hey, we are listening. Hey, you know, uh, can you talk about this or can you talk about that? I think that gives us more reinsurance as as free content creators, right, that we're putting this stuff out there and people are utilizing it uh, to its best of its abilities uh, for us to to share with you. So definitely give me some feedback. I'd like to hear your feedback of what's going on. I, remember, you can also comment on the YouTube videos, I see a lot of you out there on the YouTube videos are really saying nothing, but give it a thumbs up. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. That's 4-2 Technoman. And let me know, uh, you know that we're doing an all right job out there and pushing these videos and this podcast. Uh, and like I said, I've been doing this podcast for a long time. I love doing it because it gives me that reassurance that you know, uh, every time I bring up a new subject like the wireless for this week, it, it brings me back and teaches me something again. So it's it's great for me to pay it forward. And also, don't forget, paying it forward, if you want to learn how to be an administrator of Windows Server 2012 R2, um, maybe you just don't know how to create uh, group policy objects. Maybe you don't know how to how to push software out. And maybe you just need some reassurance. But maybe you've been running server for years and you're not sure how to do security groups. That's why you want to take that course. If you go to jtclearning.com, jtclearning.com, you could take one of those courses, and once you complete the course, I will mail you a certificate of completion. People have actually called me, but well, not called me, but emailed me and said, Jack, look, thank you so much. Uh, you helped me get a job. I haven't been able to find any work in the field, and now having the certificate, I got, they got hired within a couple of weeks of earning their certificate. That's pretty, and that makes me feel good. It makes me know I'm doing a good job. Um, I looked at this and I compared the prices of this particular course against the courses from uh, companies like uh, there's a pro company out there, uh, Pro TV or something. They are a lot more expensive, so you know this might be the way to go. Don't worry about the uh, and don't let the lower price fool you. Remember, I am in the business of paying it forward. I work a full time job. I have uh, clients in in our consulting business. 
So I'm not trying to become a millionaire off of this. I'm not doing uh, these uh, full-time, let me say. So I'm just being able to pay it forward. Yes, there is obviously a fee because I do have a lot of hours of content there that I created. So check those out at jtclearning.com. Also, please remember to use my Amazon link when you buy anything from Amazon. It truly helps the podcast out. It helps doing the videos and it helps to find new equipment for the studio, pay the hosting fees, and da 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 da. Everything I make from this stuff, from you know your donations, if you go to um, the patreoncom slash Corner, everything I make from any of those uh, sources, go back and go right back into this show. So that's just another kind way of showing that yes, the podcasters out there are doing a good job. Folks, thank you once again so much for listening, downloading, and subscribing to this show. And I hope that you come back each and every week, and I'll bring some new content next week for another show. Thank you, take care, and I'll see you then. You just listened to Tips from the Server Room with your host, Jack. If you have any questions, please drop me a comment at tipsfromtheserverroom.com. Thanks again for tuning in and downloading the shows. Now sit back, relax, and listen to the remainder of the music. We'll see you next week on Tips from the Server Room. So long. <laughs>